Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. I am here with Chris Galanis, who is an author and an amazing teacher and trainer in the disciple making movement world. I'm so super excited, Chris, to have you here with us. Uh, We're going to be talking today about a couple of different things. Chris wrote a book called From Mega Church to Multiplication. We're going to be talking about his book and his journey and maybe what he's learned even since he wrote that. Uh, what does it look like when you're, you already have a church and you're already established in something and to make that transition into a multiplication approach? So super excited to learn from you, Chris. And then Chris has been lately, I've I got to know you in a way, not only through your book, but through your Twitter posts. And he's been tweeting a lot about tent making. And so we're going to be talking today about tent making. Um, how does that work for people who want to be bivocational, have be doing ministry, but also uh, working? And how does that all take place and gaining uh, insights from Chris? Are you busy, but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you, or frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step by step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. Chris, tell us a little bit about who you are. I I don't know if I can pronounce where you are from. Did you say Lubbock, Texas? Lubbock. Lubbock, Texas is where you've um, been involved in church. You started a church there, but tell us a little bit about yourself um your family just lets me get to know you and and then a little bit about how you started your disciple making journey sure cindy thank you so much for having me as i was telling cindy you guys before we jumped on cindy's been a hero to us and our work here we followed her for a long time and cindy and i've connected uh, more recently through twitter which has been great so it's an honor to be here, Cindy. Thank you. For I gave him a hard time the other day. So <laughs> we, <you know. laughs> I liked it. I liked it. So uh, like Cindy said, I'm, my name is Chris Galanis, and I am uh, from Lubbock, Texas, born and raised in Lubbock, Texas. In case some of you are not from Texas or even from America, let me kind of help you understand where that is. So Texas, if you're not for, you know, great on your American geography, is in the south of America. It's kind of south central part of America. And then Lubbock is in West Texas. So we're in the Western part of Texas in the 
in the like the top part. It's called called the Panhandle. So if you're familiar with Dallas, uh, Dallas Fort Worth area, we're about five hours west. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. That's not where we're at now. I'll tell you where we're now. But uh, that's where I was born and raised. That's where we uh, started our church. That's where I met my wife. My wife's her name is Emily, and uh, we met at Texas Tech University, which is a university that we attended uh, there in Lubbock. And we have two children. Uh, and a few adopted uh, exchange students as well. So we have two um, uh, two kids that, that live with us right now, uh, both daughters that are uh, 16, McKinley, and 13, Karis. And then we have Lucy, who is an exchange student from Thailand. She calls me dad. And Cindy, she lives in Thailand now. She's back there, but we consider her a daughter, Lucy. And then we've had uh, just recently two uh, girls from Afghanistan come and stay with our family. And so they're like daughters to us as well. So Cindy, I have two biological kids, but maybe five kids overall. (laughs) So that's um, great. That's great. Well, we have had Nepalis and Indians live with our family as well, who've become like family to us. So can totally identify with that. But tell us a little bit, Chris, how did how did you get started? You you had started a church there in Texas. What happened? How did this transition come about? So, uh, and, and feel free to interrupt Cindy and, and tell me where you want me to go. But um, so I was in Lubbock, born and raised. We were at a church there and I began to get involved in the college ministry. I was actually kind of on an IT track. I was a computer science major, a computer programmer, computer nerd. <laughs> okay. That was the track I was on. And I got real excited about this college ministry and began to get involved there and actually came on staff, Cindy, at this college ministry and started leading worship, uh, believe it or not, and then speaking some. And I thought, well, I think the Lord is calling me into ministry, maybe college ministry. And in that tradition, you needed to go to seminary, if that's what you Mm -hmm. wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went off to seminary, to Southwestern Seminary in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Went through school there, Cindy, thinking I'm going to get done as quickly as I can so I can go back to college ministry. And during my seminary days, uh, I needed an elective to graduate. I was kind of on the fast track to get out of seminary because I nothing to get seminary, but I really loved ministry. And so I, there was, I, I needed an elective and um, there was one available, Cindy, and it was called church planting. Now, I was from a relatively small town. You didn't really have that. And so when I heard church planting, I joke with people. I thought it was a class on botany like how to plant at churches, you know, so at churches, how to plant the flowers and all this. I'm like, church. I had no idea what church planting oh, was. Wow. <laughs> I needed an elective. And so I sign up for this class and I learned, oh, it's about starting churches. I'm like, who does that? I mean, I've never even, I've never even heard of that. I mean, because in Cindy and Lubbock, you just have churches and it's just the ones that have always been there, you know? Mm, and right. so uh, in taking that class, we were exposed to all kinds of things. One of the books was one Cindy and I were just talking about, uh, Church Planning Movements by David Garrison. and uh, But we were exposed to some different resources. We went to a church planning conference and through all of that, Cindy, we felt like God was leading us to go back to our hometown and start a church. So I went from going to the class, not even knowing you could do that. That was legal, you know, to leaving the class thinking, I think I'm supposed to do that. I think I'm supposed to not do college ministry. I'm supposed to start a church. This is crazy. And so Cindy, we graduate from seminary. We go back to my hometown And we start a church in a skating rink because we couldn't find anywhere else to meet. And and so it grows really uh, quickly over uh, the years. We add campuses and um, yeah, we just saw the Lord do some quite extraordinary things. 
in the first 10 years. And then he led us on a different journey that I know we're going to talk about. But Cindy, that's kind of the yeah. first, that's kind of 1.0, if you will. <laughs> right. Wow. And so how long were you in sort of that 1.0 mode of, you know, as God was leading you in that way? How many years was that? That was about 10 years. That was our first about 10 years. So 10 years, was, right. Cindy, with, um, with a vision that the Lord had given us early on, when we, when we first started the church, there was a few of us in a living room praying together and about mm -hmm. 12 of us, like our core group. And our prayer was, Lord, would you, we don't want to be a church that like draws people from other churches. We want to mm -hmm. reach lost people. So 12 yeah. of us prayed in the room, Lord, would you allow us, and Cindy, this is not a huge town. There weren't huge churches. So this was a ridiculous prayer, <laughs> but we prayed, Lord, would you allow us over the next 10 years to see 10,000 people come to faith in Jesus? Wow. And I think we're like chuckling as we're praying that because we're like, now that would be impossible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's never going to happen. But we were, we were praying, you know, going, God, you could do this. And so Cindy, the reason that I say is 10 years is because in year eight, we crossed that 10,000th person that had mm -hmm. indicated they committed their life to Christ. And so by year 10, we were praying and asking the Lord, what's next? What's next, right? So God gives you this crazy vision. You're in this skating rink with 12 people. <laughs> crazy vision of 10,000 people in a an area that you know probably isn't very big. I don't know how many, what was the population of the town you were in? About 250,000, uh, okay. so not huge compared to like a Metroplex, but the church population, Cindy, there would have been a lot of churches, but the largest church might have been a couple thousand people. Cindy. Right, right. So you grew, you reached 10,000 people, and then God says, I've got more. <laughs> he surprised <laughs> How did us. he do that? How did he do that? Good question. So year eight, right, we crossed that um, that. 10,000 in 10 years, just, just totally amazed by all that the Lord had done. Remembering Cindy, the living room, the 12 of us praying, going, no way. And then two years ahead of time, we, uh, you know, we surpass it. And so just praising the Lord. And then Cindy, I always say it this way. What we did at that point, I don't recommend unless you're ready to be incredibly uncomfortable and you're ready for God to give you an extraordinary amount of faith to pursue it. What we did at year eight is we said, Lord, you've done infinitely more than all we could ask or imagine in the first eight years. Mm -hmm. What is your vision for our church for the next 10? Not, Lord, let's do it again. Here's our vision. <laughs> you know, Here's what we think we should do. But no, here's the dangerous question that I tell pastors. If you ask this question, you better watch out. Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next mm -hmm. 10 years? Because our vision, Cindy, evidently wasn't quite large enough, even though it was really large for us. The Lord showed us, man, I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't, you know, we did that in eight years. So we just said, Lord, what do you want our vision to be? And it was at that time, Cindy, that the Lord brought a lot of different influences into our mm -hmm. life. It opened up our eyes to see what he was doing all around the world. Cindy, I would encourage anybody, even as they're just maybe beginning to think about movements or pursuing movements, to start with the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And ultimately, Cindy, we can talk about this question that I'm sure you use, not what can I do alone, but what must be done to accomplish your mission? What must be done and what part do you want me to play? So what do you want me to pursue in the area that I'm in? So yeah. anyway, so we're asking the question, Cindy, going, oh, no, you know, who, who, know, <laughs> who knows what the Lord's going to say? 
And there was a couple of influences that came into our life at the time that were really transformative. And I'll just tell you about a few of them. One was um, a mutual friend of ours, Victor, from uh, South, South Asia. Uh, you may know of him. That's a movement leader there. And I was he, just with him last week as well. <laughs> I figured, yeah. He's a yeah. good friend. And yeah, great uh, we were, he was a missions partner, Cindy, of the church we were at in Lubbock. So that's how we knew him. So that when we started our church, he became, um, years later, he became a mission partner that we gave financially to as well and took trips. Well, around that time, Cindy, we got an annual report <laughs> from his ministry. I'm sure I had gotten them before. I just don't remember, you know, but we got this annual report that described what the Lord was doing. And we'll just call it South, South Asia. And I almost fell out of my chair when, when I read the report. It talked about in the last 20 years, the fact that they had had the opportunity to baptize, we'll just call it maybe tens of millions of people. And it was, it's so many, Cindy, you can't give an exact number. So in the report, they send in research teams and there's a low number, a medium number and a high estimate. And it's like somewhere in there because it's so many, you can't even count it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember Cindy getting that and just the, the Lord speaking to me and I, and, and moving me through that report. And I took it to our leadership team. We were at a little uh, retreat and I put it in front of them. And I just said, guys, do you think God could do here what he's doing in India? Mm. Now, Sunday school question. I mean, you, you, you know the right answer. Oh yeah, I got it. But I mean, like, do you, is this, can God work like that here? So Cindy, that was one thing God brought in that made us start thinking mm. million. I mean, through the ministry of this person and then the disciples he raised up, millions came to faith. And Cindy, we knew in our area, millions needed to come to faith, but we never thought about millions because like 10,000 in 10 years, how's that possible? <laughs> that, that, that would be totally mm -hmm. impossible. So that was one thing. Cindy, a second thing that we've already talked about was I started rereading a book from seminary called Church Planning Movements by David Garrison. And I'm just reading it again, just trying to kind of grasp what's going on here because I'm connected to uh, our friend Victor and getting the annual report. And Cindy, I read this one quote, and this quote almost leaped off the page at me and changed my life. And I, I, I wrote it down. The quote is this from Garrison's book. It says this about these two missionaries. It says, in the years that followed, Langston was the name of a missionary, was joined by Calvin and Margaret Fox. And together, they planned what it would take to reach all of the Kui with the gospel. Hmm. Now, you may not see that, or people listening may not see it immediately, but it just struck me because it said th these just three missionaries, they planned, they were putting together a plan to reach an entire people group with the gospel. And so, Cindy, I thought... That makes sense. The Kui, there's probably only a hundred of them. There are probably a hundred. That's why they're making a plan to reach all of them. Cause that wouldn't be, you know, that hard. It's only a hundred. I look up the Kui, Cindy, there's like 1.5 million or something. And so I'm like, who are these missionaries making a plan, believe, having faith to believe God to reach an entire people group? Who does that? But it's kind of what it sounds like is happening with Victor and what's going on there. And then Stan comes in. Cindy, a mutual friend of ours, and tells us what God's doing around the world. So, and then the Great Commission, just as we're reading Matthew 28 as a team, just kind of the Lord uses it to speak to us again and shows us make disciples of Pantatai ethne, all the ethne, all, all the ethne and all of an ethne, like the idea of reaching whole people. So I realized maybe the missionaries aren't as crazy as it seems. Maybe they got it from Jesus, this idea of. <laughs> 
you reach whole groups. So Cindy, right. I, I mean, there's more, but our mind is blown by the fact that God could do so much more than we've ever asked him. So maybe the answer to the prayer, Lord, what do you want us, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years is going to be a, not just a little bit bigger, but a lot bigger than the vision he mm. gave us for. Mm, so good. And Chris, so inspiring to hear you share about, you know, God's work in your life and stretching and expanding and your faith and your ability to believe him for, for what he was about to begin through you. I, I just, again, want to highlight one thing you said. You said, could God do here what he's doing there? And I think that's such a common question. Is it is it possible? Could God do in my area what I'm hearing that he's done in so many other areas when we hear about these movements and this radical multiplication and so many tens of thousands and millions even coming to faith? Could it be possible? And Chris, a lot of people ask it about America. Absolutely. I probably honestly get the question more from Americans Mm -hmm. these days than I do from anywhere else. You know, is mm -hmm. it possible in America? Is it possible in Europe? And um, so I love that God stirred in your heart. And I believe even as you're speaking, God's imparting some of that, you know, mm -hmm. that faith yeah. to some of those that are watching. Um, well, so Cindy, I love tell what, us, and, yeah. I love what Stan would say in, often in response to that. He, 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 he said he would often respond to Stan, a, a, again, a mutual friend and, yeah. and mentor to me. Yeah. He would say, God often does it next, does it mean brings movements next in the places that people said it could never happen here. Hmm. So if any of you feel like, hey, well, I'm in X country, there's no way it could happen. It's probably because you're next. <laughs> well, I'm over yeah. here and there's just no way God could do it here. Maybe it's because he's about to do it there next. Hmm. Because Cindy, even hmm. the place we were just talking about with our friend Victor, everybody said it could never happen there. The graveyard right. of modern missions, it's people have gone there for hundreds of years. Nothing's happened. It's not going to happen there. And it breaks out there. Then people say, Cindy, about other parts of the world, it could never happen here because the religion people are very dedicated to their other religion here. And it breaks out there. So I tell mm -hmm. American pastor, Cindy, the same thing. If you're thinking, man, there's, this is America. There's no way. This is Europe. There's no way it could happen here. You might be next. <laughs> you better watch, you might be you next. Better watch yep. what you say. You might be next. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in Thailand, you know, that we've been talking about that. And uh, for many years, Thailand was the one I heard that about, you know, it, yeah. it can happen anywhere, but it's not happened in the Buddhist world. It's not happening mm -hmm. here. It's too, you know, Thailand's different. Um, right. And today there are movements here in Thailand. It has happened here. And uh, mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm believing we're going to see many in the U.S. and in the West as well. Because um, God's the same everywhere. So why couldn't, if he can do it Amen. in other countries, yes. why would he loves lost people everywhere? Mm. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. So tell us some more. Yeah. You were, okay. you wrote a book. When did the book happen? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, you know, as we were asking, and, and I'm going to, and this is going to lead to the book. So as we're asking the question, Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? Through those different resources, Cindy, we began to believe that we should, that the Lord wanted us to aim to reach a, like it says in the Great Commission, a whole people or a whole region. And so the population, Cindy, of our region, not just our city, but our region out in West Texas was about a million people. So, <laughs> so we knew this would surprise maybe everybody, including us, but we really sensed, our leadership team sensed, 
that the Lord wanted us to pray for a million in the next 10 years, not another 10,000, but a million. And Cindy, this is kind of how we got to DMM or to movements. So we've got this vision, Lord, we really think you want us to like uh, Langston and uh, Calvin and Margaret Fox in that book, or like Victor, or like other missionaries are doing, dreaming and praying for whole people, or like Jesus said to his disciples to do. We think you want us to do that in West Texas. So Lord, with we didn't really believe much when we pray the first prayer for 10,000 to 10 years. But now that you've done that and hey, Lord, would you, for your own glory, not ours, mm. would you bring movements that would lead to a million people in our region coming, uh, becoming disciples of Jesus in the next mm. 10 years? And so as we kind of establish that as our vision, Cindy, as a leadership team, I went up to the whiteboard and I basically said, OK, if this is the vision. How is it going to happen? Cindy, literally, it took us about 30 seconds to realize we couldn't keep doing what we'd been doing if this is the vision that God's given us. Yeah. We didn't know nothing wrong with what we were doing. <laughs> we lie. I mean, we were seeing people come to Christ. It was, you know, wonderful. But if he's really given us this vision, I mean, we could say he's not given us the vision and just keep doing what we've been doing and maybe go for another 10,000 in 10 years. But if he really wants us to try to reach an ethne, to reach a, a people, we've... Cindy, without multiplication, it's not going to happen. So on the whiteboard that day, I said, so tell me if, it, if we can't keep doing what, we're, what we've been doing, what's it going to take? And as mm -hmm. we're kind of thinking out loud, we realize it's going to take doing what Victor did. It's going to mm -hmm. take doing what Calvin and Margaret Fox and that group did. It's going to take doing what other people had to do in order to see millions come to Christ. It's going to take disciples, multiplying disciples that are multiplying disciples. It's going to take churches, planting churches that plant churches, leaders reproducing leaders that reproduce leaders and movements, reproducing movements that reproduce movements. We knew multiplication or movements, DMM, we knew that was our only choice. So, Cindy, I always tell people, it's not like we read about DMM and we're like, oh, we like that better than what we're doing. We'll do DMM. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got to DMM because God gave us a vision and we mm -hmm. knew that multiplying disciples was the only chance we had of accomplishing that vision. So, Cindy, we knew if that vision was from God, we needed to be willing to surrender everything we were doing at that point as just a normal U.S. large church and say, Lord, whatever it takes to make and multiply disciples, that's what we're going to do. So, Cindy, we knew DMM would be the vision. We began to implement it. And uh, at our 10-year anniversary, so eight years is when we're processing this because we were asking, praying the prayer in year eight. At our 10-year anniversary, because we had 10 different campuses, we couldn't all meet together. We rented out the basketball coliseum in Lubbock and brought all of the campuses together for one big event, you know, 10 years celebrating what God had done. We cast this new vision, Cindy, of doing whatever it's going to take to reach the million through DMM and Victor sitting on the second row. And I wow. said, I said to everybody, there's probably only one person in this room that understands anything I'm talking about, but we're believing by faith uh, that the mm -hmm. Lord can do it. And so we roll out the vision, Cindy, and I start blogging about it. The blog becomes a book. The book mainly was just for other pastors in, in Lubbock and people in our church to have to be able to share with a friend like they're not totally crazy. Like they have kind of thought some of this through, you know, here, here's here's kind of what they're thinking. So the book was mainly just to, uh, was going to be a tool for other people in our city. But then it started um, really spreading throughout our country and around the world. People that were calling in saying, hey, I've read the book, our spirit is, you know, uh, hungry like yours was for something, would you help us? And so that led us, Cindy, to the next phase, which was training thousands and thousands of leaders in DMM. Mm, yeah, amazing things. I, I heard you say the vision 
was so big that you really didn't have any choice. No, you had to do something different. You knew that in order, first came the vision. This is what God wants to do. You stop thinking about what you could do or seeing the same thing you'd already seen, but this, this great vision, believing for your region that God wants to reach our region. And um, as you took hold of that vision, then beginning to believe that, that, okay, then we we're going to have to change. We're going to have to do something different um, in order to see that. So how did, what changed? And you wrote the book and uh, tell us, tell us some of the, the raw hard truth about what was hard and what was, what went really well. Just, um, yeah. So a lot changed as you, as you might imagine. And at the 10 year anniversary, we basically said, Many of you became disciples in the first 10. And in the next 10, we want to send you out to make more of them. Mm. And so, Cindy, we kind of established there that, you know, our church was always about bring your friend and come to church. Now, kind of because we we knew we needed to multiply, it was going to be less about bringing people to come, even potentially you, the person I'm talking to coming, but us sending you out to make and multiply disciples in churches where you live. And so we knew Cindy from that day forward. I mean, leading up to the 10 year anniversary, we took our budget, which was you know a large budget for a, a larger church, and we slashed it because we knew we were going to be asking people to leave. Not, le- not, <laughs> not in a bad way, but like we want to send you out as disciple makers and church planners. God can use you like he's using ordinary people all over the world. You don't have to have a seminary degree, be a paid pastor, any of that. We can train you and you can go out and make disciples and plant churches. And so we're wanting to send you. So, Cindy, we didn't even know <laughs> long after that if we'd even have a, have a, you know, a gathering that would be very large because we were going to send everybody out. Well, mm. as you can imagine, as we cast that vision, some people were like, I have been waiting for this my entire life, you know, and we're so excited to be sent. And others were thinking, I think I need to find a normal church. <laughs> I think this is this is sounding like this is not going in a normal direction. Okay. This, right. this is gonna be crazy. This whole making disciples thing. I like coming on Sunday morning, but as far as making disciples, I not I don't know if that's my thing. So Cindy, we had a lot of people, and we again we blessed them and said, We totally get it. They just said, Hey, first 10 years, we we're with you. Second 10, I think we're just Usually they would say we want to be a part of like a normal church, <laughs> you know, we're just, we just want to go to a Sunday morning and have something for our kids. And, and, and again, we didn't back up from the vision God gave us. We said, then that, there's so many great churches in this town. You can be a part of, please. Mm. In our church, we are, our, we're telling, we're showing our cards. We want to train you up to be a disciple maker and church planner. So mm. if you're in for that, come on. And if not, we totally understand. And so, Cindy, you can imagine that over the next several years, we had lots of people either move on to other churches or move on to plant churches and go out and make disciples and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So eventually, long story short, our church really became a network of churches that started in Lubbock and began to spread. So right now, we just had an an audit uh, last August we're a decentralized network of mostly smaller churches, Cindy, that meet in homes in um, about 25 or let me see, in 25 states and 33 countries. There's about just over 800 churches now um, in, in the network. So that's kind of that's kind of where it started and then where it is now. And those are continuing to multiply. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And I hear this like it's like an about face, you know, it was, it was come and bring people with you. 
come to church. And then it became go out. We're yeah. sending you go out and make disciples. So a real reversal that you were yeah. asking people to embrace. And, and there were mixed um, responses to that, but, but you we expected, didn't, we expect, you expected yeah. that. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Was, was it ever painful, you know, to some people that, <laughs> that you well, loved and had poured I'm, your life into, you know? Of course. I mean, yeah, but again, we, we just believed, especially in this season, I mean, we've always believed it, but especially in the season that people needed to hear from God and do whatever God said. Mm. And so we, Cindy, just tried to be super supportive, you know, whether God was leading them to stay or leading them to do something else, you know, we, uh, but yeah, of course, when some of your friends say, you know what, and Cindy, I didn't really get, you know, much hate mail or anything because it would, it's hard to not like the vision. I mean, people are like, that's a great vision. I'm just not sure if that <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. You know, I just want to come like, to oh. church and hear a yeah. sermon and go home. <laughs> nobody really said a million in 10 years. That's a terrible idea. And I mean, nobody thought, <laughs> nobody thought that they just right. thought the implications of it. I'm not sure I'm going to sign up for. And, and Cindy, one thing I'll say, I think a mutual friend of ours, uh, Roy Moran, who wrote a great book and, and kind of um, was pursuing some of this, even in America before uh, we were, has said, if you're going to add, if your goal is to add disciples, you can bring them in to, to a church or something, a ministry. But if your goal is to multiply, you're going to have to send them away. He was saying something, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of if you're bringing them towards you, that's addition. If you're sending them away from you, that can lead to multiplication. So we right. know Cindy, if we did more of what we did in the first 10, we might add another several thousand, at, but multiplication involves it moving away from you rather than moving towards you. And Cindy, as you might imagine with me or most American pastors, it can be uncomfortable for things to move out of our control, <laughs> to move away from us. Because usually in America, especially maybe everywhere, you kind of want to put it in a box and, but multiplication, Cindy, as you know, because you train this, you can't do that. If you try to box up multiplication, you will hinder multiplication. And so we knew we needed to send them away uh, to make and multiply disciples with coaching, with oversight, of course, but mm. move it away from us, Cindy, rather than toward us. Mm. So good. And, and so commendable that you were willing to make that, that change, you know, and, and I know there's people who are listening who are saying, wow, I, you know, that's, that's a big sacrifice to, you've had people coming and there's a great feeling of family and, you know, everybody gathering together in the buildings and um, feeling like, yeah, we're we're a body together. And then to say, no, we're going to send you out now. This is, you know, the time has come for you to go and and um, reproduce what we've invested in you. So uh, great challenge. But but uh, yeah, the result, the fruit is 800 different fellowships and churches that have been started and many more on the way, I'm sure. Wow, time is going really fast, Chris. I knew it would. And so much to talk about, but we want to make sure we get to tent making. Uh, tell me a little bit about tent making. How did you become passionate about that? Um, you're writing about that and blogging wow. about that and yeah. tweeting about that. So how, how did that happen, you know, and, and why is yeah. that so important? Thanks, Cindy. So when when we first started the church, of course, we didn't have anybody coming at the time. So like most church planners, we had to raise support. 
So we raised support to start our church in, in the very beginning with the 12 people that were in the living room. And um, in Sydney, that was about for the first two years, I was not paid by the church. Mm-hmm. And about two years in, we had enough people coming that they that the elders offered to bring me on the payroll. And I accepted that invitation. But to be honest, even from the point maybe of accepting the invitation, I longed to come off the payroll again. I just loved the idea of the salary that I was paid being totally given back to the ministry if there was some way to make it on the side in another way so that the money coming into that time, you know, our smaller church could be used primarily for ministry. So Cindy, it was through even the those first 10 years that I was looking for tent making opportunities on the side that could generate extra income so I could give all that money back to the church again. So um, did, did, did a number of things, but in about forget which year it was, but I, I emailed the elders and I just said, hey, I've got a couple things going on the side. They're starting to produce some income. I'd like you to dock my pay by 25%. Then sometime later, I said, I'd like you to dock it by 50%. Until, Cindy, I was just completely off the payroll at our church. So that was happening around the same time I was writing the book. So in the book, I did a chapter on tent making. And I just talked about some of the reasons I wanted to come off the payroll. One, because I really enjoyed preaching free of charge. But also now with the DMM vision, Cindy, I thought it was a great example for the people in our church that you can make disciples and plant churches, even if you have a job or a business. You don't have to be paid full time like me. But Cindy, it'd be easy for me to say that, hey, y'all can y'all can do this, but I'm still paid. You know, (laughs) I thought it'd be a, a little bit more credible if I was off the payroll. In demonstrating, you can make disciples and plant churches even if you're not paid. And so I wrote about that, Cindy, as a chapter in the book. And like I said, as the book got out, people, pastors, leaders started calling saying, can you show me? <laughs> can you, you did some tent making to kind of come off the barrel. What What did you do? And can, can you help me? And at the time, Cindy, I just said, really, I'm involved in full-time ministry. I, I probably don't have the time to be coaching and training in that. I'm coaching and training in DMM, but not really tent making at this point. But maybe eventually. And so, Cindy, I just continued to have interest in that. And so I decided to put together some coaching and training and tent making uh, for pastors that also, for various reasons, might have wanted to supplement or replace their income. But, Cindy, increasingly with DMM, more were sensing the need because they weren't sure if their churches were going to want to go along with the vision. And so the main hindrance, uh, Cindy, I saw with a lot of pastors in my context even to pursuing DMM was, how am I going to get paid? Because their thought, Cindy, was if they, even if they want to remain a part of their church, if they start casting the vision, what if they don't like the vision and they say, hey, this doesn't fit here, even in some kind of a hybrid? Or what if um, they feel led by the Lord to, to, to leave that church because that's not the direction the church wants to go and they want to pursue DMM? Cindy, how are they going to provide for their families? So this just it kept coming up, especially from as we trained a lot of people in DMM. Hey, this is all great, Chris. I want to. I think I want to be devoted. I want to do DMM. This is our only hope for reaching our country, Chris. Um, how am I going to take care of my family, Cindy? Mm-hmm. So that kept coming up. So I thought I want to get involved here, and I want to do whatever I can to help pastors, missionaries, Christian leaders develop other sources or streams of income, so that Cindy, if the Lord ever led them to be especially bold with their church. And they think maybe there's a financial risk. They would never shy away from it because they've Mm. got other streams of income. Or if the Lord called them to leave, they've got other streams of income. Or if the Lord 
you know, you know what I'm saying? They, they feel mm-hmm. like they've got some stability financially apart from what they're being paid by the church. Because here's the honest truth, Cindy, for all of us. And that is, if you only have one stream of income and it's all coming from a church, let's say, you're obviously being incentivized to, to keep doing what you've been doing. And if you try to bring some change or cast some vision, it can be scary because your entire livelihood, Cindy, is tied up in that one church. So you might be afraid of what the deacons are going to say, afraid of what the elders are going to say, and maybe you wouldn't be as bold as you otherwise would be. Maybe you wouldn't you know, take as much risk or allow the Lord to give you and your leaders as much faith as otherwise you might if you if you didn't feel like your livelihood was on the line. Cindy, does that make sense, what I'm saying? I think the other the other thing that you said, I think, is worth really noting and highlighting as well is the example that you're providing. Yes. When you made that tough decision, you didn't have to make that decision to ask the board to reduce your salary. I'm sure it was more work, you know, to do some tent making on the side. Yeah. It would have yeah. been easier not to do that. But you made that choice because you wanted to model something for people that they could see that you can actually have an income, do disciple making, be a disciple maker full time and invest yourself in this um, while also working and uh, earning enough sustenance for your family to be provided for. So yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for explaining it. Um, um, What are some of the kinds of strategies or things that you've encouraged, at least in your context, and I know you've trained people in other parts of the world as well, that have worked well in this area, um, as far as tent making approaches that, uh, that are that don't take so much of your time away that you're unable to give yourself to disciple making. That's right, Cindy. Yeah. And, and again, um, like Cindy's saying, you know, in, in some contexts, you may feel like the, the Lord is leading you to just take an eight to five job to support your ministry. And that's fine. But as Cindy knows, if you begin to lead quite a few people or you're leading a number of churches, you may need to be a little more freed up, right, Cindy, than an eight to five job might allow you to be. And so some of the tent making opportunities, Cindy, that I usually push people toward are ones that earn part to full time income in a lot fewer hours than you'd normally have to work to earn that, if that makes yeah. sense. So in my context, I'm, I'm just speaking, like Cindy said, about my context. It could be different in other contexts. But real estate happens to be an avenue in a U.S. context that I've seen in my my, my own life and the lives of other pastors and leaders uh, c- can be a great way to earn extra money without having to work lots of extra hours to earn it. There's so many different niches, Cindy, in real estate that you can get involved in. That again, so do you mean becoming a real estate agent or tell, what do you mean them, by that? Yeah. So there's many different things. You can become a real estate agent. You can become a real estate investor. And as an investor, you can uh, take a house that needs some work and you can fix it up, or you can just uh, buy rental property and and hold rental property, or you can um, quick flip something where you buy something and then you just try to immediately uh, resell it and make a little bit. Cindy, what's interesting about real estate is in a lot of fields, you get paid for your time. In real estate, what makes it interesting is you get paid for value, right? Mm -hmm. So you might work an hour, but make what somebody else makes working 40 hours, you know, because it's not about, you don't get paid by the hour. You don't often even get paid a salary. You get paid based on what you produce. So Cindy, I've found that that's been helpful for a lot of the pastors I've helped with tent making. It's been a helpful 
additional stream of income, maybe not the only one, we can talk about some others, but it's a helpful additional stream of income because your pay, Cindy, is not tied to your time. And that can be really good for somebody wanting to do tent making, but on the side because they want to stay devoted to ministry because they're a leader and they're, they need quite a bit of time available to, um, you know, be coaching and training people. So Cindy, real estate mm -hmm. is one and we, we can talk about others if you'd like. Yeah, give me a couple others. So another one that I've been encouraging lately that, again, is you get you want to be is a tent maker. If you're not wanting to get a job as a tent maker, you want to be looking for things that will pay you based on value, not time, if that makes sense, because time takes up your time. So another thing that can pay you based on value, not time would be some kind of an online business. Cindy, I think mm -hmm. you you may have something like this. And I, I have uh, uh, an online business as well. You can sell courses, you can sell coaching programs, you can sell access to communities, and you can do this with any skill you might have. So you might be great at uh, grilling, you know, cooking things on a grill, or you might be great at art. And you can monetize that, Cindy, right now online because there's millions of people buying online information products and they're looking to pay. And since there's millions of people out there, if you have a product for 50 bucks or 30 bucks or 100 bucks and you sell a lot of them, Cindy, that can be a pretty good extra source of income for somebody. Sure. And again, the, the money is tied to value, again, not time. So that would be kind of the principle here is if in your context, those of you that are watching, you're wanting to do some tent making, but not through getting a full time job because you need to stay freed up. Look for different opportunities that pay you based on value you provide, not time you put in. Making disciples and sharing Jesus with those around you can be difficult. We need help to keep our faith alive as we step out to do new things. Faith to Move Mountains, stirring our faith to believe for movements among the unreached, is a 30-day devotional that will encourage your heart and build your faith. In it, I and my co-author, Kevin Sutter, share a scripture, a story, and a challenge each day from years of frontline experience working in tough places. Like I said, making disciples can be hard, progress is often slow, and breakthroughs seem distant. This devotional will kickstart your faith for a movement of disciples in your area. Grab a copy on Amazon.com today. Let me give you a quick recap of this great interview that we just had with Chris Delanos. So a couple of important points that he mentioned. One is that Chris was willing to ask God a dangerous question. Chris asked God, what do you want our vision to be and how key it is that we ask God what is his vision for our area not just what can I do or what can my church do but what is it that God is wanting to do and then listening to his voice and being willing to risk hearing that and embracing a God-sized vision so that was an amazing point that Chris just nailed so well in this interview another thing he talked about was how missionaries we're planning to reach an entire people group. Their vision wasn't just for a handful of people or even 10,000 people. It was to see the entire region, the entire people group come to faith. And we, when we embrace that kind of a vision, amazing things begin to happen. We are motivated and we, we actually, the vision drives us to be willing to change how we're working and embrace a multiplication, not just an addition vision. And Chris quoted Roy Moran. He said, if your goal is to add disciples, you can bring them in 
to the church building, right? But if you want to multiply disciples, then you're going to have to send people out. And that's a costly decision to make. There's a sacrifice involved. But if we want to see the multiplication of disciples and we want to see entire regions and people groups reached with the gospel, we must be willing to send people out, not only call them in. And then Chris talked about tent making and how it is very possible for us to earn an income while making disciples and doing the work of the ministry. And there are jobs out there. There are ways to earn income that don't involve full-time work. Um, but we're able to earn an income to supplement what we're doing and then uh, be able to send disciples out and see them go rather than just calling them in to pay their tithes and bring more money into the church. So those are some amazing points that he made. Here's my action step for you. And I want to challenge you today to ask that question of God that Chris took a risk and was willing to ask. And even just right now, why don't you pause wherever you're at, you might be driving your car or you finished your workout and just pause and say, God, what is on your heart to do? What is it that you want to do in my area? Ask God, dare to listen to his voice and dare to be willing to dream a multiplication dream, dare to multiply. Thanks a lot. God bless you guys. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.